So, would you do me a favor before we get started with the sermon? Um, I'd love for you to get your Bible, whether you use an actual Bible or the app on your phone, and uh, get uh, our, our scriptures for today queued up, okay? So, our first scripture is going to be Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to take you over to Ephesians chapter 1. With verses 18 through 23. So if you could cue that up now as I begin, you'll be right there ready to go. You know, just stick a bookmark or your finger or something in the, and hold the, the space. Also, at the bottom of your screen, you'll notice that there's a Bible there. You can call up the scriptures there also. So Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, and Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. All right? Good. All right. Um, during the last six weeks together, I've been working through a theme I call knowing God and knowing ourselves. While there remains considerable depth <laughs> to those themes, I explored it with, um, with an examination of our congregational identity as an embodied difference, as in, an embodied people or embodied difference. Um, we serve an incredible God who created with the beautiful paintbrushes of diversity, taking something so simple like a tree and making so many varieties that it is mesmerizing. You can see difference in this community called trees in their barks and in the shape of their leaves and the colors of their leaves and when they bloom. And, and what their blooms look like. It is amazing, and yet these trees do this incredible thing. They receive the, the carbon dioxide that comes out of us and turns it back into oxygen to help sustain life, to help give life and sustain it. And uh, this is a part of this embodied difference that God created it, and it's, and it's, a, a, it's a wonderful and amazing thing. Creation is filled with example after example of embodied difference. And we talked about how Jesus, Jesus self was embodied difference as he was God in the flesh and yet fully human. Being the word through whom everything is and was created and yet coming and entering into time and space and history, he engaged the world through his limited resources given his status as a poor ghetto boy from Galilee, living in an occupied state as the Roman government was over them. And how the same Jesus expanded his embodiment of difference in his resurrection and how he was able to accept male and female, resourced and under-resourced, gay and straight, those living in binary constructs and those feeling free from binary constructs, those with plenty of melanin in their skin like me and those with less of melanin. He created in his body, embraced in his body, all our diversity, all our difference. And so we can say that Jesus himself embodied difference. But yet we seem to serve or live in a time when the church um, doesn't love and embrace embodied difference the way 
the head, the leader of the church does. And so we have to do the work that helps us to align ourselves with Jesus at the center, to come closer to Jesus in the way that he perceives and interprets and engages the world through love for all. Um, then we had a couple of Sundays where we took some time to talk about systems and the necessity of these systems and how human beings naturally organize themselves and create systems to help us do the work that we need to do uh, to fulfill our mandate of being fruitful, of multiplying and filling the earth as we lovingly protect creation, as we help it reach its fullest potential. It was a long discussion, and I hope somehow, in many ways, that it helped you understand uh, systems and principalities and powers and the driving forces that work to either help us, um, propel us into our purpose, or actually work against us and further separate us. That we must, we must pay attention to the forces that are loosed in our system and help them align with the things of God. And I use the Beatitudes as an example of that and, and having the right attitude and motivation and driving forces. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that that hunger and thirst for righteousness, feeling it down to the core of your be being and wanting to experience that helps us align in the things that we create so that there is right relationship. There are right relationships between you and between me, between our, our organizations and our businesses and the way we engage with our neighbor. That this, these things, these beatitudes become driving forces for us in creating systems and also in transforming the power of our systems. And so we have to recognize that our systems, they are our institutions, you know, our organizations, our belief systems. Um, and, and again, we want them, them to work and operate for the common good so that they reflect a dominion that seeks to elevate and lift and again, help creation fulfill its potential and not move it away from that. So um, this topic of knowing God, knowing ourselves, again, is deep, and I'm just merely brushing it. But as we continue, uh, we've discussed embodied difference. We've discussed our systems and the driving forces behind them. Um, and now I want to move our conversation to power. It, it seems like a logical thing to me to talk about next, you know, um, because of the influence that we're supposed to have, we need to exercise some power to help move things, propel things toward being transformed to reflect Jesus's image in the earth. And so I want to talk about that. Um, let me begin with a simple and straightforward statement about power. The essence of power is making room. 
Now, that's the last thing I expected to hear when I enter into a discussion on power. I'm used to, uh, oh, I use the word essence intentionally. The, the, uh, the word essence, uh, it means the properties or attributes by, which, by means of which something is placed in its proper class or identified as being what it is. It's the attributes by which something can be placed in its proper class or properly understood or identified, or be properly understood or identified. The essence of power is making room. I'm not used to someone explaining it again in that way. I, I engage, usually when someone wants to engage me in a conversation about power, I have to take a deep breath and, and I have to try to war with the, the connotations in my mind that cause me uh, to feel fright and want to, you know, fight, flight, and fight, you know? I get nervous about that because as a the person that I am, those conversations aren't usually about how to empower me, but usually about how to control me. Um, my life experiences have just taught me, you know, that the essence of power is control. That might be, that might be true for you. Um, and unfortunately, my expectation is that power will be abused when people have it. And Probably there are many of you that share that as well, which is why I am determined in this role. I want to do that. We share power, and power is something, again, that we're supposed to use for the benefit of all. So here's the truth. We all have it. We all have power. Whether you feel powerful or not, whether you are being abused by someone's someone else's use of power or not. Whether the systems of this world are exerting power or force at you or against you or not, we all still have power. You might want to say, my power is weak and their power is strong and has a greater impact. But I want to help with that. I've come to realize that if I'm going to have the impact upon this world that God has called for me to have, me, little old angel, middle class, middle aged, introvert woman that I am in this world, I've got to change my understanding and my relationship with power. First, I have to see that I have power, and I need to understand the magnitude of the power that I have. I've got to stop perceiving my power from the world's perspective and see my power through God's perspective. God says this, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, this thing that you can hold between two fingers and barely see, that that's supposed to be enough faith to do incredible things. You see, with God, we come to understand that a little is a lot. A little is huge from God's perspective. So that when I have these attitudes about my power being small, it's not true. 
it's not true. For me to engage power, for me to express and allow God to use me and the power that God has in me, has in me, it's an, it's, it, it can change, it can do incredible things and it can change the world. God's perspective is everything, and everything is based on God's perspective. So, pointing back, if God could strip off God's power, right, and be born as a baby, uh, become this little ghetto dude, ghetto boy from Galilee, who didn't have any magical power, he just had the power that comes with being human, and that little boy engaging the power that God gave him in being human could turn the world upside down. How much more, truly, how much more could you and I work to transform the world? Little old you from little old Podunk, wherever you're from, or the exciting big city, city of Philly. God's got a lot invested in us. So, My experience with God has taught me that God doesn't do things halfway. I may do things halfway, but, but God, not so much. It's just not within God's capacity to flub, to do it halfway. And the capacity of God, that, that, that powerful capacity of God, lives in you and lives in me. It lives in us. So here's a scripture that helps us understand that the capacity of God's power. Um, if you'll turn to that scripture, I ask you to queue up Genesis chapter 1. I want to read uh, the first couple of verses to you. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was hovering, ready for action just waiting. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is an example of the powerful capacity of God in creation. The capacity of God was there, ready to act, ready to move. And when God gave instruction, when God gave the word, that capacity exploded out. The spirit moved and everything came into being. This was a display of that capacity, that power that God had and has. So another example, turn to that, uh, the book of Ephesians and that place I asked you to hold there, the first chapter, verses 18 through 23. And I want to talk and explain it a little bit. I want you to read it from your version. I'm going to read from the Amplified. Now that's the wordy version. I like it sometimes because it helps me understand things a little bit better. So um, this is Paul's prayer 
at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to start at verse 18. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, meaning flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, and the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people. Verse 19, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and unsurpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. He said, I want, this is my prayer. I want you at the very center of who you are that it would be flooded by, with light because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that we will know, we will, it will be revealed to us and we'll understand. And once we gain this understanding, we'll count it as precious and know that it is a guarantee. We can have confident expectation in this hope that God has given us. Knowing that we're the riches of Jesus' inheritance. We are. Go figure. Right? Oh my goodness. Why? So that we can begin to know, listen, the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power that is in you and me who believe. Now it goes on to say in the last part of... Um, the 19th verse, these things are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength. This, this conforms, this, this, this agrees with and demonstrates the mighty strength of God, which God produced or exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at God's own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic or human, and far above every name that is named, every above every title that can be conveyed, not only in this age and world, but also in the age and world to come. So that you and I would know the immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing power of God that lives in us. Man, that's crazy. Verse 22. And God put all things in every realm in subjection under Jesus' or Christ's feet and appointed him as supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church. To put him over all principalities, powers, and then he put him over the church, over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things in all. I remember when I first read this, I was like 16 or 17 trying to read through the scripture and, you know, trying to understand who this God is that, that I just accepted and received, right? And I read this and I was like, what? Wait a minute. 
called, <laughs> so I called some folk because I needed some help, you know. Um, the guy who uh, talked to me and helped me understand better about having a relationship with God gave me a King James Bible. And we know that's not the easiest thing to read. It sounds really pretty. But sometimes when you need to dig deep, you need some other help, which is how I discovered the Amplified. And I, I just had to, to read it, and I ate this stuff up. Um, I needed to grasp and understand the essence of power. I wanted to. That immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing power that's in me, that's in you. Well, that's, a, that's a big, heavy statement, and I wanted to understand. See, the first thing I needed to do was to know who God is in relation to power and then to know who I am in relation to power. I needed to understand that God didn't leave me and God's presence isn't with me like God's just kind of watching everything. And it's like, mm, that's rough. <laughs> I get into trouble. Oh, that's a shame. You know, and won't inject God's self in. No, I needed to understand that God didn't leave me powerless or defenseless in the world, you know? But more than being not defenseless, God left me or gave me an offense because God gave me an assignment, a mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And I need the power, you need the power to be able to complete that mandate. Now, when people talk about being powerful in God and things, and we still, you know, still comes up with the con connotation of, of, uh, of spiritual people, you know, having some type of magic and it being spooky or something. And I've been in churches where, you know, folks who seem more mystical or whatever, they were, they were the deep folks, you know? And I was just quiet. People thought I was deep. I was just being quiet because half the time, I understand all that stuff, right? And I didn't understand why the focus was on all that stuff. Being a spiritual person is not about being magical or spooky. Being spiritual is not about being powerful or being powerless. The magical, spooky stuff is a distraction. I can't say, and I won't say, that weird and spooky things don't happen. I, I can't say that. Hear me, okay? Really hear me. All I know is that that, that stuff and the rumors about that stuff, or even... When people put up a, you know, say that, you know, they want to be extremely logical and that stuff doesn't exist and want to be very logical, all of that stuff to me, all of it, all of it, they're distractions. They distract us from knowing God and knowing ourselves. The power that created the world, the spirit hovering on the face of the water and then the release of power and the let there be lives in me and lives in you. The power that was produced or exerted in Jesus when he was dead and buried it caused him to pick his life back up to move from being dead to now alive, that power lives in you and in me. So I don't have to have this 
enormous image of what power is and look like Supergirl or Bat, whatever, and whatever. I don't, I don't have to have that. When I look in the mirror, I don't have to be laden down with all the head trips that come with power. No. Because all of that junk speaks of me being able to push down someone so I can be safe and be elevated, you know? Um, uh, wanting a great hero that's way up there and knowing that I can't be like Superman. All of that stuff. That's not, that's not truth. It makes a great story. I love watching all those superhero stories. But they're just that. They're great fictional stories. But we have the truth, an accounting of power that lives within each of us because of Jesus. Many of us, you know, have spent years studying, learning about our fields, right? And you get master degrees and doctorates and we become experts and authorities on, on the things that we're studying. And it makes sense to us that you would study and know these things and then engage the world. Well, I don't know, it just seems natural to me that we would study these things about power and about knowing God and knowing ourselves so that we could better engage the world. And that we can better know how to release, we can define what that power is and know how to release it in the world. Look at humanity studied the atom. And we discovered that if you split that sucker open, you release incredible power. Just think about what would be released in you and me if we study the spiritual power, that immeasurable, surpassing, unlimited power that is alive in you and me, that power that, that raised Jesus from the dead. The essence of power is making room. It's not what the world tells us in a big bang and, and blowing things away and destruction. But making room. The quintessential attribute of power is making room. Listen, when God used God's power to create, God was making room for creation. There's a theologian, his name is Jürgen Moltmann. He's a German guy. Um, I think he recently... Not too long ago, he passed, if I'm correct. Um, he had this theory, man. It was so, it was so cool. He, he, if you, you know, you can't really give God a shape, so he kind of has this notion that God is a blob, but that, that there's a portion of God that God takes a deep breath and inhales and, and holds that spot. Like you and I, if we were to inhale and, and suck in our stomachs in the space that our stomach had occupied, no more, we're not there anymore. So there's room. Room has been made for us, right? He believed that's what God did. God took a breath and, and inhaled and made room for us. And that God is ever holding God's self so that we are safe and we are secure in that space. And God doesn't count that as a loss, but as a benefit, making room. 
when God created, God made room for humanity. When God exerted power to raise Jesus from the dead, God was making room for you and me again. You see, in every miracle of Jesus, in every recorded word, you see this thing that he is speaking. And as he speaks, room is being made for the oppressed. Room is being made for the rejected. Room is being made for the criminal, the outsider. Room is being made for anyone who will humble themselves before God. Room is being made. And there is value in the room. There is value with this type of use of power. Not to oppress because Jesus was that ghetto boy born into a, 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 a country that was oppressed by Rome. So there's that understanding and that just position that here comes Jesus looking like this ghetto boy who had nothing poor, uh, not seen. But then he speaks and his words radiate such life, people begin to listen to him. It's only through the power of that message that he had, the, the message which was, was in making room, that transformation was happening for the world. Transformation, the door was open for you and me to be changed, to be transformed. And we continue in that process of transformation and the world continues in that process of transformation. And what do we learn from this? From the example of Jesus's life, I learn when I live and walk in alignment with God's purpose and mandate for me that the things that I, that deal in death can't hold me, including death itself. Oh, they'll try, like they tried with Jesus. They can make it seem like you and I are outcasts, like Jesus seemed to be an outcast, rejected by God, rejected by humanity, crucified him. And sometimes you and I have gone through experience that it felt so painful, so awful, like we were being held up in crucifixion on a garbage heap. Like Jesus being declared nothings and nobodies, or falsely being, what, that's bad, but falsely being declared somebody and in your heart kind of feeling like, no, I'm not. It's false in both cases. And then they put him in the grave. And some people have counted you and have counted me dead and out. But listen. The same power that raised, that created everything that is. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and in me. And it can't help but fulfill its capacity follow its nature, do its job. The Holy Spirit living alive and well in your being and in mine is ready to take action. Because of the Spirit, we are powerful. You and I, we need to know how to bring that power to bear upon the circumstances. 
that we deal with, that we're facing, the, the things that are hurtful and harmful to others. We need to understand what God is saying to us about our direction as a church mosaic and, and, and as a church and with our extended friends. We need to understand how we participate in transforming the world. The power that we have to make room for others. The power that we have to open up a bigger tent to make people feel welcome. It is that power that is alive in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to you and speaks to me. My job is to help you connect with the Holy Spirit and then get out of the way so we can listen to what the Spirit is saying together and move together as a community in union, communion, in union, in unity. Speaking and watching God, moving and acting and watching God be God. We are not so weak. Um, remember how I told you that you could like leave your peace in places in scripture? says that, you know, to the disciples, Jesus said, when the people receive you, leave your peace. Um, Beth and I were doing prayer walk in the community, leaving our peace, because this community has received us. That is an act of power, an act of power in the way that we pray for the community, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we pray for the times that we're in. The act of power of actually getting on the street and demonstrating the act of power in being involved in organizations from political to, to helping feed people. The acts of power that when we get involved and we align ourselves to do things that make room for people, we participate in in being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. We align ourselves with what God told us to do and the opportunity for blessing, the explosive power for God to enter into the situation and the miraculous to happen is there. And we can't say, oh yeah, it was just us that did it. And that would be an ego trip anyway. It's in relationship with God that we get to do these things. It's in relationship with creation we get to do these things. It's in relationship with one another we get to do these things to help you and me, creation, fulfill our purpose. We make room for that because it makes sense. We make room for that because we're all made better. When everyone touches and embraces the gift that's within them, it's not to diminish some people and make other people look bad. No, my gift will help give birth and give space to your gift. Your gift will help give my, my gift space. We do this because it makes sense. It is the right way. This is living in righteousness. This is the kingdom of God entering in. The essence, the quintessential attribute, aspect of power from the beginning and continuing into now. This power is making room. And if power is not making room, it is anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti what God intended for us. And it is living outside of the ways of God. And we need to realign ourselves back up with God 
and get this straight. And if there's ever been a time to hear this message in our country, in our world, it's now. Because people are making hierarchies and oligarchies and all these things to separate and make a lesser people and a higher level people and elite people and all that garbage. And that works. That is dealing in death. Anything that deals in separation deals in death and works to separate and kill us, destroy us. But God didn't come for that. Jesus didn't come for that. He came to give life. And in that life, us accepting and living, there is abundance. There is room for everyone. There is room for all. There is enough food. There is enough housing. There is enough money. There are enough jobs. There is enough. But we need that connection and listening and releasing the power within us for transformation. We've got to get on our jobs or stay on our jobs and listen for more because God has so much more for you and I. Amen. Amen. Lord, thanks so much for your words and uh, just helping us to understand. Lord, I pray anything that I said that just, you know, was confusing, that you would wipe it from our minds, that you would expand the things that would help us uh, understand you better that you would help us think on these things in, in dreams and in, as we're driving the car and washing dishes, that you would increase our understanding of you, that you would answer Paul's life in the life of Paul's prayer in the life of this church, that you would answer Paul's prayer in the individual lives and in our collective lives, Lord, that we may know the all-surpassing, unlimited power that lives in us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.